Welcome back to Forces of Good, the superpower of everyday negotiation. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour with co-host Nina Greeley. Negotiation is everywhere, every day. This is the Negotiation Laboratory, where we share insights into basic skills, strategy, history, storytelling, behavioral sciences, and social trends. It's all connected. We are all connected. And everyone can learn the everyday negotiation superpower to be used only for the forces of good. First, a clarification from the last episode, part one of questioning. Please don't interpret my caution about the why question as an absolute or a prohibition. It doesn't always put someone on the defensive, and I don't profess absolutes. It can be a good empathy and curiosity question, which is how I used it myself in episode 11 when I interviewed Lily Din. What is danceable and why did you start it? I asked her. You can also repackage the why question as, tell me more about piano tuning or whatever. Okay, onward. The magic question for this episode, and I should really call it the super stealth question because this is a podcast about the superpower of everyday negotiation. It's this, what would it take? Zoe Chance, professor at Yale School of Management, who also talks about the power of no, by the way, and we discussed the Chris Voss no-oriented question in our last episode, or part one of questioning, that is, loves this question, and she tells a story about it. In Zambia, there was a sex trafficking conference where Gloria Steinem was an expert talking on this issue and giving advice. She goes to a village that's struggling with that problem. Three young women had been lost to sex traffickers the previous year. Instead of giving them advice, she asks, what would it take for that to never happen again? They say, an electric fence. An electric fence? Yes. Evidently, when the corn reaches a certain height, the elephants come, eat it, and trample it. We have no food. We have nothing to sell at the market, no money to send our kids to school. And these women and their families were desperate and turned to sex trafficking. So Gloria Steinem returns home, raises a few thousand dollars, sends them the money. She returns to the village a few years later. There's a bumper crop of corn. No women have left the village to sex trafficking since they got the fence. It's not that the fence magically prevented sex trafficking, but that no one needed to leave the village for that reason. Wow. I mean, that's, again, if there was a core issue there, something that was underlying the presenting issue, like we discussed in the last episode, and Steinem's question got to that core issue. But it doesn't have to be a high-stakes situation. She also gives the example that is Zoe Chance, and and one that made me think she was a fly on the wall in my home, of your kid not putting clothes in the hamper. Ask, what would it take for you to put the clothes in the hamper? I love that. That's really cool, because it makes your kids part of the solution. Yep. In fact, remember I talked about the hostage negotiators who would visit my class. That was one of their pointers. Get the perp involved in solving his own problem. For example, you say you want a helicopter to pick you up on the roof of the building. Now, I'm told that this roof is not designed for that. Help me figure out how we can solve this. 
asking your friends, what would it take for us to go on vacation together? Oh, I'm already thinking of some questions for my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, Nina. Whatever it is that you want, just start asking, what would it take? And you might be surprised at the epiphanies you get from that. Which brings us right back to part one of questioning. That first question of asking yourself, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? Aha. Uh-huh. See? It's all connected. Yes. And now for the demonstration so you can hear this in action. We may as well share that we have not scripted this. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not sure how this is going to go. For round one, I'll be the questioner, and Nina doesn't know what question I'm going to ask her. After we debrief round one, we'll switch roles, and Nina will ask me a question and follow-up questions. And I don't know what it will be. And then we'll debrief again. So, Nina, what I will tell you is I'm going to begin with an open-ended question and go from there. Okay. Nina, what is the most important issue facing California in the next five years? Oh, wow. That is a big question. Why don't you put me on the spot, Lucia? Okay, <laughs> let me see. Give me, well, I should probably just answer with what immediately jumps into my mind. Yes, I love that. Which is unequivocally climate change. Ah, what makes that the most important? Because it affects everything, our quality of life, our safety, our health. It affects immigration, food availability. It's basically the future of where and how we live. And also, it is such a dire situation because things have already gotten so bad and the situation is so urgent, we, we need to act. Well, what sort of action do you think we need to take? Oh, <sighs> That's a good question. There already, t- there's almost too much to think about or too much to even list. And I also think there are so many obstacles. I have to be honest, I'm not terribly optimistic, but I still believe fundamentally that we need to do as much as we possibly can. It's because I think that taking action is vital for us as part of a community, as part of the human family. And that's a core belief I have that's based on my own upbringing and my worldview. I don't know if I can justify it. I just think that as humans, we have unique powers for good and evil because of our big brains. Mm. And we have so much potential. And I just believe that we should work towards helping each other and building a better world because it's possible. What's the, I guess, hmm, what are the biggest obstacles you see? And what would it take to overcome those? Well, I think that there are two big obstacles. One is simply that the way that our the way that our nation is run, the way our economy is run, it is so dependent on corporations, and corporations have so much power in our world. They're not designed to put the interests of the people and the planet first. That's it's all about shareholder profits, and I get that, but that is not helpful for this kind of situation. And the other is just that I think we have a huge problem in this country with an attitude that focuses on the individual instead of the community. I mean, you saw it with the pandemic. You saw people who, instead of seeing wearing masks as something they could do to help each other or getting vaccines or something, saw this as an, as an imposition on their freedom. And I don't, I don't quite know how to deal with that, but we've got to find a way to kind of change people's points of view on that. 
So who are some of the people that you think could help? Oh, wow. Well, there's luckily lots and lots of organizations out there now that are just getting much more energetic and powerful that would be able to help that that you can get involved in to to help the situation so there is for example 350.org fabulous organization bill mckibben he's a environmentalist who's been working for years on this issue or my new favorite third act which is actually for people over 60 people who protested like the vietnam war which i did not because my father was in the military and i was a little too young and we weren't even allowed to wear peace signs in the house but Hmm. also (laughs) those who protested in support of university divestment from south africa um, using our experience to help with this current situation there's also greenpeace earth justice um, the national resources defense fund and a good one is the center for um, biological diversity and Extinction Rebellion is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And people in these organizations are coming up with all sorts of different ways to address the problem. And these these run the gamut from general actions like mass protests to more targeted ones. Um, like, for example, there's a really targeted movement in the last year or so to, to go after specific banks to try to get them to stop funding fossil fuel ex- excavation. Um, there's a nonprofit called Some of Us which, and it's spelled S-U-M of us. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and it gets, it actually works with shareholders to try to get together to change the focus of corporations and corporate governance. Um, so there's a lot of people out there who are already doing the important work that you can get involved with, with to, to work like that. And I just, I can't tell you how important it is, I think, to take action even when you feel like despairing. There's um. There's a, an activist named Mariama Kabe. She's an activist and author who said something once that I just love and I often have to remind myself of, which is hope is a discipline. So mm. you may not always feel it, but you act it. And our actions, even at the time, they may not seem to be making an effect, but they do have an effect. This is something Noam Chomsky, who's the very, very famous linguist and political writer, talked about with the Vietnam War protests, that they started small, they seemed crazy, people thought it wouldn't do anything, and maybe it didn't do everything the people who were doing them wanted it to do. I mean, we did not stop the war instantly. We did not save everybody, but probably tens of thousands of lives were saved. And so I think it's incredibly important for us to act, and there are people out there doing that important work, and you can get involved with them. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm on my sort of soapbox about this. <laughs> no, it's, and, I'm, and I'm listening because what I'm going through my head is how this is what we say in every episode at some point, at least in the outro, is that we are all connected. And in fact, I just sort of covered that same point in the Espresso Shot edition about Twitter and Elon Musk and the, the April 27th special edition. So I, I do appreciate that, Nina. And, and I also think at this point, I will, I will stop round one so yes. that we can debrief that. And I'll ask you this uh, to start the debrief. What did this feel like being asked? Well, I felt a little put on the spot um, because (laughs) as a lawyer, you know, you want to be able to come up with everything perfectly organized in a whole long list, and I didn't really have that. Um, Oh, so you felt like you had to have a good answer. Yes, I felt like I had to have a good answer. It was also nice to be be asked because I do care so much about it, and it felt like you you were interested in something that I really cared about. And yeah, I I wanted to give you as much good information as I could. 
that's sort of so how this is interesting your your reaction was that you wanted to be helpful wanted to give information so who do you think is working harder the the questioner or the responder you know that's a really good question i was going to say of course it was me the responder <laughs> just because i had to be i had i felt a little under pressure to give a good answer but I also admired how well your questions helped me do that. And that's a skill, I think, that it it takes time to develop and some energy to implement. So, Well, that's also why the, the questioning module comes after listening, because the types of questions that you ask can incorporate demonstrating that you've listened. And I... I was going to say the questioner has it harder <laughs> because, because they have to keep the subject focused. Also, it can be hard if the respondent isn't saying much, which wasn't the case with you. And uh, also because it's hard to listen. Now, here's a neat trick. You can ask the same question, but in the first, second, and third person, bringing the focus on different subjects, as it were, me, you, them which can gain perspective from different angles. Oh, and what happened when I asked the super stealth question? What would it take? Well, actually, that was useful, I thought, because it made me think of, it made me consider the practicalities. Because I was in sort of my rant, and you kind of shook me <laughs> out of it. And, you know, and actually, you helped me get over that feeling I sometimes have that it's kind of hopeless, um, which is exactly where I, what I want to get over. Um, so ha having to talk about the practicalities helped me focus back on sort of the core of what I believe and why I believe it. And I, I appreciated that. Ooh, we need to pause for just about 30 seconds to talk about our sponsor, the Empowered Cookie. High fiber, low sugar, paleo, vegan, small batch, from scratch. It's the Empowered Cookie. I've been consuming and sharing them for years. I share them with my son's special education class where many students have special dietary restrictions. They are yummy and so satisfying that I can often only eat half for a snack. Empower your eating routine with the Empowered Cookie. Empoweredcookie.com. Enter code SUPERPOWER2022 for a discount at checkout. Okay, well, Turnabout is fair play. We're going to switch roles, and Nina will now ask any question she wants of me, and I don't know what it's going to be, uh, following the same format I did. Okay. Okay, Lucia, you said I could ask you anything, so here goes. You know, we, re we reunited after law school, um, and we, it's been quite some time, and I know you had children, which I didn't, but I also know that you had a special needs child. So what I really want to ask you, and I hope this is okay, is what's it like being a special needs parent? Oh, oh, geez, Nina, whoa. You really went for it, didn't you? You don't have to answer. I, I, nope, nope, I'm answering. Okay. We made a pact and we're doing this. Okay, so, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, no one's ever asked me that before. Oh. Typically what happens when someone learns about my special needs son is they launch into their own opinions on it or something they read somewhere or have you tried such and such intervention or 
they heard a certain diet can help so that you don't have to resort to medication or some movie or TV show about it. And in short, they end up telling me about what they think. And side note, Nina, did you know that when I enrolled in the civil justice clinic our third year of law school, I handled a special education case. And little did I know that one day I'd be navigating the special ed system as a parent. I mean, it was almost like foreshadowing. No, I had no idea. Yeah. So anyway, I haven't answered your question yet, have I? No, but I can hear the gears spinning. So what's what's going through your head? Well, I think it's two things. One, that it's like having your heart broken all over again every single day. Oh, Lucia. Well, yes, and I don't think enough people talk about that because the thing is, it never ends. It never will. My older son will not lead an independent life. He will always need to be supervised and in some group situation. He can't live on his own. He can't hold a normal job. He, he behaves in ways when out in public that are visibly different from typical people. In fact, three times the police have been called on him. I mean, on, on the occasions we've experimented with letting him walk down to the bagel shop, for example, on his own to get a bagel and walk home. And his body moves oddly. And he does this thing called scripting, where he talks to himself and he flaps his hands and rocks back and forth. And, and then it's difficult for him to communicate with someone talks to him and people think he's, I guess, dangerous and they call the police. So after the third time, I made a little laminated card for him to carry that he can hand someone and it says, my name is Julian. I am practicing being independent. I am not dangerous. Uh-huh. I am not dangerous. My parents know where I am. Their phone numbers are such and such. And anyway, it's the constant worrying. Oh, Lucia. What what worries you the most? That the world will be cruel to my son and what happens to him after I'm gone. Oh, wow. Okay, so I said it was two things. The second thing is that it's actually very freeing. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, once you realize you have a child who will not conform to expected milestones and expectations of development, you know, you let go of all those expectations. You just have to go with it and ride that roller coaster. And and then it transfers to his younger brother. So. I'm not terribly hung up on, for his brother, oh, you have to get into the best college and establish a certain type of career and get married and so on. I mean, yes, I do expect him to go to college, but I want him to pick one where he feels a sense of belonging and joy and not worry about the prestige or status. And I want him to have healthy and loving relationships, but but all these other trappings of what he's supposed to be or do that... I see other parents carrying around. I don't have those. And that is quite freeing. Yes. Also, 
just the pure chaos of having a special needs kid is in a way like, yep, our lives are crazy and we roll with it. And it's made my younger son incredibly patient and resilient. It's next to impossible to phase him. You know, there's this wonderful quote. I think it might be Nietzsche. I'm not sure. And it goes something like, I might not be getting this exactly right. And those who were dancing were thought of as insane by those who didn't hear the music. Uh, Our family dances to music that others just don't hear. I I just love that. I love that, Lucia. So what would it take for you to worry less? Oh, I guess a, a long, healthy life for me to stick around as long as possible. And I'm pleased to say I'm a robust and healthy person. I I get plenty of sleep. I hike with my dog every day. I eat well. I do work that I love. I have healthy relationships and separate myself from situations that aren't good for me. And I plan to stick around for a while. That and watching his younger brother become an adult, hoping that they remain close and that he'll be able to look out for him when the time comes. So, okay, I'm watching the little ticker on our recording software clock here, and we should debrief round two. So what kind of information did you ask for, Nina? It seems like you asked about an experience, which is a blend of facts, feelings, and opinions. There are so many categories of information to get from people, right? Facts, feelings, opinions, goals, plans, interests, capabilities, values, beliefs, relationships, So now, Nina, who do you think has it tougher, the questioner or the responder? Well, I'm not used to this style of questioning, so I had a bit of a cheat sheet with how, what, not not asking why questions, for example. I had so many reactions to what you were saying, and I had to try really hard not to interject because I really wanted to hear what you had to say. But you had to open up so profoundly and dig into yourself and show me your heart, which by the way, thank you, because it really touched me. Thank you. No one's ever asked me that before. (laughs) What do you think the most difficult task is facing the questioner? Oh, for me, it's definitely, you know, you talked about the noise, right? Not focusing on the noise. So my own like, oh, what, what am I going to ask her next? Or even just any noise, my reaction to what you were saying, my wanting to step in, make you feel better, step in, mm. agree, or, de- you know, that I just like, was, I had to keep telling myself, you're listening to her. You are listening right. to her. That's right. what you're doing. So and that, and it, it is gets, so worth it. Yeah. It gets back to that listening and yeah. managing your noise and being flexible about yes. where to go next. Yeah. So, Everybody listening, your homework this week is to practice asking questions. Yes, and to remember to listen. Always. Excellent. Thanks for listening, or even partially listening while you multitask. You never know what might stick with you. Keep your ear out for this space because we sure do appreciate your company. You can find us on Substack, Apple Podcasts, and at pactumfactum.com.